How's it going guys? Today we have Brad Samples on the line from Blindsided Calls. This is one of the one guys that I've been super excited to talk to for a long time. He is the master carver, call maker, everybody's seen the feathered bands, the feathered inserts. So uh, it'll be a fun one to uh, talk to him about. Just a little reminder, if you want to get in on the Duck Call giveaway, we are going to do it on the 20th or 25th episode. This is episode 16, so it just depends on how long it takes me, but before the end of May, we will give the Duck Call away. Make sure you subscribe, share the episode, and uh, go ahead and comment on the BTBN page on Facebook that you have shared, whatever episode it is, so that way we can enter you into the drawing. Subscribe on iTunes and put the duck call. You can rate it whatever you want. Just make sure that you leave a rating on there and I really appreciate it. So without further ado. So what have you been doing lately, man? Uh, I know you were talking about being, you know, off of work and just trying to figure out through all this Corona stuff. Yeah, off of work, uh, a regular job, actually unemployed for the first time. And not the best feeling to, for that I guess that title been unemployed, but uh, trying to actually organize the shop, trying to get uh, cleaned up a little bit, looking at even building a new shop, just to be able to spread out a little bit. And uh, my shop where I'm at now is uh, probably about four years ago. My father-in-law said, you know, our house kind of sets high off the ground, not not very high, but about five foot. He's like. He said, you know, you could dig this thing out and build a shop under here. We dug like a four-foot circle. I stood in. I was like, eh. Over the next three years, I guess it was, I dug. Then I'd give up. It'd fill up with water. I'd give up. And finally, I did dig it two foot deep. Poured a footer, poured concrete. uh, Poured uh, basically a concrete small wall, put cabinets on it. So basically, I work under my house right now. Yeah, I remember seeing pictures of your build a couple years ago. You have all those really cool, like I love the way all your stuff is sectioned off into like the different cabinets, and you got all the airlines running through every little cabinet. Yeah, well, when I started, you know, when I first got my lathe, I turned my first call in the kitchen. Wife still don't know about that, I don't think. (laughs) She does now. Yeah, she's complaining about dust and all this stuff. And uh, anyway, then I went out to a patio. And I, well, I probably should back up and you know tell how I started, maybe. Well, yeah, I want to hear how the guy at work turned a broomstick into a national title level call. Well, that call never made a national title. But you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> several after. So, uh, I, what, how I started, how I got into duck hunting, you know, deer hunting, this, you know, I. I grew up skateboarding, BMX, bike, all this stuff like that. Half pipe riding, believe it or not. Anyway, you rode a half pipe. Rode half pipe, drop in, you know, all this crazy stuff, street ramps, BMX, bike jumps. What was bikes. your bike of choice back then? I, I had a Diamondback and something. I can't remember the other one. I Everybody had a, had a Diamondback. Had a GT Mark One. Yeah, GT was where it was at. So uh, I always went skateboard bicycle and then later in life met my wife you know we got married and everything well my brother-in-law was like 10 years old wanted to start skateboarding so i started helping him at 25 i got back into it so i went back to skateboards and believe it or not just to 25 i it's like 
I had to relearn my balance, what I used to do. But I got back in the swing of things, back on street ramps, back on half pipes, and all that. And uh, so then, believe it or not, I went right back to BMX bikes with him. And, you know, finally got old again. So, uh, back, I'm on a mountain bike now. So, uh, my brother law had been duck hunting, and, you know, he said, You need to go. And uh, I went and shot a wood duck, typical here. And uh, a good friend of mine, he had some labs, and out of the litter, they had one lab that had like a white spot on the chest, and nobody ever bought it. So he said, You want a free lab? I said, I'll take it. So I took it and got water dog video, went through the whole thing, and it was, I was just amazed that a dog would actually listen. You know, dog would sit, dog would retrieve. I was amazed by just watching the dog. You know, so I take her on a hunt. You know, she finds it. Finally, retrieved birds. I now I'm getting hooked on duck hunting. So that was, you know, that went on for I'm gonna say probably two years. And I just kept looking at duck calls. Well, I actually bought a duck call, and I was like, man, this thing don't sound like a duck. I don't even remember the brand. It may have been a Primo's winch. And uh, for some reason, I've always been a hands-on person. I'm like, you know what? My goal is I said I want to make a call and call a duck in. That was that was the only thing I did. I didn't. I didn't want to sell a call. I didn't even think about giving a call away or nothing. I just wanted to make a call to call a duck. That was my goal. And so, first thing you do is go online. There was absolutely no information, hardly at all, to learn, you know, how to build a call. So, I, you know, I've seen something about wood jigs, made wood jigs, and all this stuff. And I put the, you know, well, I kind of got ahead of myself. So, at that time, I wanted to make a call. I didn't have no information. I knew I needed a lathe, but I didn't have a lathe. But I worked in a maintenance shop. And uh, so I went and made a makeshift mandrel I think I'd seen on maybe Webfoot. Uh, their mandrel. So I made something similar to that, a Penlock's mandrel. I think it was Penlock. It may have been a, my bolt went up and locked onto it. I can't remember. And I made it where it fit in the drill press at work. So I went sharpen the screwdriver. And so I'm sitting here sideways turning a duck call barrel out of maple. I bought a box of maple. Well, I got it done. It was I was, it was like super proud moment. I bored this thing with like a the wrong. Nope, lost a little bit of signal there for a second, buddy. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> right. All right, go ahead. We got you back. So we're back. Hey, anyway, uh, so I turned the barrel, the maple. I bought some maple and turned a maple barrel on a drill press sideways with a homemade jig and a sharpened screwdriver. You know, actually kind of leaning sideways, if you can imagine that, you know, as far as the lathe. That and, sounds uh, sketchy, dude. And I, I just, yeah, it was very sketchy. <laughs> and I was so proud of it because it was just cool that I, I this vision was starting to take place. And it's like, you know, it was the ugliest thing now, but then it wouldn't. And I was like, you know, it was just cool to have that barrel. I'm sitting there thinking, and this is so cool. And I kept thinking, I was like, I can't make a duck sound without an insert. And I, I was like, I don't have maple or nothing big enough. And uh, so finally, I think somebody's about to walk in on me and shoot them off. But, so uh, I got to think, I said, I've got to find something to build an insert with. And uh, I just happened to go behind the door. And uh, there was a wood broom. And at a, a tire factory, you're not supposed to have wood in there at all. 
you know, it's a big no-no. So I took the broom, had it on the bandsaw, and I had the insert blank. So I went over there to the drill press. I, I don't still, honestly, I don't remember how I rigged it up to get the insert shape. I shaved it, you know, table shit and all that. And you being a call maker, you know, you don't just drill a tone channel straight through. You know, <laughs> right. that, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> I, I drilled straight through it, put it between center, spun it. We had mylar at the time in the plants. I went and took a scrap bin and found a piece of mylar and cut it and uh, stuck it in there. And if you gave it everything you got, you'd get a little quack. <laughs> that's too dang funny. Yeah, yeah it was, but that's how I started. And, uh, Finally, my lathe come in. That's why I turned my first call in the kitchen. Uh, then I learned how big a mess it actually was. Yeah. So then I, yeah, it's a pretty big mess. How long did you keep it a secret before you uh, you told the wife what you were doing? What's today's date? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it. I mean, she knows me now, but I don't. I never could tell her then, but. How long were you able to keep all the dust hidden? Like, what when you knew oh, that I, she was going to be home? When did you start cleaning up? Right after I made my mess. <laughs> I, I, actually, that was the first call I turned. I, I may have turned two in the kitchen. And I realized right then, you know, I had to go out. So we had just like a concrete patio out back. So I would go out and sit this thing on a flat patio, and I would sit flat on my butt and turn. You know, you, you having to hunch down and try to get in there and turn, and it was just I did that for. Uh, six months maybe we sold the house what you sat on your butt on the porch for six months yep man. i didn't make as many calls then either you know it was still a lot of experimental still man when i sold my setup back in 18 and then i moved houses in 19 and i reset everything back up this last year in 19 like it took me a couple of different you know tries to reset up a bench you know because all that other stuff stayed at the other house and rebuilding a new bench and i was like man this thing feels like it's like a half inch too short and i thought i built it to spec and you know how you just get so finicky and set in your ways and then you have to redo everything very much so so then we moved and we were our house sold a lot faster than we thought we wasn't really prepared for it so ended up renovating the in-laws uh two-car garage and standing there for i think we were there for two years i sat on the side of his uh, patio, which I could sit in a chair, then turn, then he let me have a little bit of room in the shop, so I was in there. Then we got in our house, I was back to the back porch, sitting on the back porch, having to take a lathe inside the kitchen when I'm done. Just It was why I didn't quit, I don't know. So, <laughs> then he gave me a portable uh, building, and I set it up pretty good. We worked out there for several years, until I dug out from under the house, and that's where we at. Called back up to where we at. But like you said, uh, yeah, you know, I was in that shop out there, and I knew how much, how quick it would make a mess. So I guess my number one goal when I got in under here was to build cubby holes for dust control. And it does, you know, it takes all that small dust and pulls it into those cubby holes a lot better. So that was the whole goal of that. Yeah, it just is such a, a neat little setup because I'm always, I'm still at the, the stage of being in the garage. And I'm constantly yeah. under fire for getting uh, the girlfriend just bought a car a couple months ago and <laughs> constantly under fire for getting dust everywhere. Right. Turn, call, wash car. Turn, call, wash car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's always your fault. 
yeah, but I mean, you know, under here, I've, I've tied the air conditioning in, so I've got, you know, heat in there. I've got Wi-Fi. You know, it's, it's very comfortable. It's just not a, a lot of room. I mean, it's perfect for making calls. It's just not perfect for storing, you know, orders and stuff. And I try to do those in, like, baskets. They, like, take people's blanks, put them in a basket, you know, with some of the details if it's inlaid. You know, sometimes go ahead and throw that in there and have a kind of like a ready basket. Yeah. But, uh... But it's really kind of backed up, so that's the whole point for getting the new shops. Very cool, man. Well, I can tell you that, I don't know, I've been following your work. I, I, I'm a pretty big fan of your work. I would say you're my you're my favorite call maker. Um, but, like, the, the feathering, all your carving, all that crazy stuff, you set yourself up for a lot of extra work by making such a cool design. Yeah, yeah, that's a blessing and a curse. I don't know how you say it. I mean, it's, I guess more blessing if you look at it, but uh, it's got to be a curse for you at some point. Well, it is to my hands. Yeah, yeah, so, it make you feel real old real quick. So I'm building, you know, I'm building like just standard hunt calls and all that stuff. I'm going real foot, you know, show and stuff and. I was fascinated by the metal recalls and, you know, bought a few of them from guys. Don't, I still can't blow metal rig good, not like they do. So I uh, had a goal that I was going to check her, buy me a check and said I was going to check her a real foot call. And uh, so I bought the basic, I think, Denmark, whatever it is, check her and set. And so I take this big old barrel to work. I'm sitting there late. I've got my lines laid out. And I'm running this line. and. I run another line, I cross, go the other way, and I'm, I'm back and forth. I get probably, I'm going to say six, seven, eight lines in. And I'm thinking, this is not hard at all. So, me, I speed up. Yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> I, took, I don't know if you ever checkered, but I went across the, the checkering lines, I mean, deep. And I'm talking about, like, he was black walnut, you know, not the best grain on it either. Right. And, uh, yeah, I jacked it up, and I was just so frustrated. I threw up my lunch bag. I got thinking, I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to trace the duck out. We got a Dremel tool in the shop cage. So I went in there and got a Dremel tool and whatever. I don't even know what bit we had. I cut that duck out, and I'd look at it. I was like, oh, that's like crap. So I'd throw it back in my bag. And through the night, I ended up with a duck and a few little trees and just a bunch of stippling. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. That, that was the birth of the carved call era. How, long, how many hours did you say you put in the first one? Uh, I worked 12 hour shifts. I had it done in the shifts. I don't know. Oh, God. So, all on the clock. Huh? Calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it gets an algebra if you figure it up. So, I don't know. And that's the number one question on carving. You know, if it was see a call, and really, you, you can't appreciate a carved call of anybody's until you actually have it in hand because you don't see the depth and detail. But everybody, nobody ever, you know, everybody asks, you know, how long does that take? And I'm like, too long yeah right <laughs> there's, i tried timing at one time but it was like start stop you know do this start stop and I just it got to be so much so i do those you know do hunt calls through the year but i, I call those long-term calls so i'm working on you know in between the other calls so gotcha yeah i tried messing around with it i don't know back in 17 and i messed around with carving a mallard and i think i put I don't know, an extra four or five hours in, which is nothing, but it was the first one I ever messed with, and it just looked like hammered dog crap. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, eh, this just isn't really my game. Well, you know, 
I, I tell a lot of people, you know, a lot of people ask a lot of questions and they're like, you know, give me pointers, whatever, what bets, how do you do this? And the thing is, I tell them, I said, you know, you look at my call this year or last year, the year before, it ain't, it ain't like the call 10 years ago. You know, I've progressed, you know, you fine tune as you go. So people just start and always want to just compare their stuff to somebody's doing it for 10 years or more. And that's not the way to do it. You know, you take that first piece and I tell people, whatever's wrong with it, learn, go to the next call, you know, adjust, you know, learn. Learn on each call. Don't just don't beat one call down. And Bob Wiseman's probably my biggest influence on getting into decorative, and I still blame him for it. So <laughs> he said, you know, learn what you don't like about this call, what you need to improve, and do it on the next one. So he said, let it go, go to the next one. So that's the biggest thing. Your first is not going to be the best. Well, so. I I had posted a picture of it, and you had actually sent me a message. Like within like five minutes of me posting it, telling me you would give me some advice, and I, that meant the world to me at the time. You know, yeah. and that was really really cool. But I was like, oh, I know this thing is, you know, it's rough. It is, and my my first one was too. I look back at pictures and I'm like, whoa! I thought that was the greatest thing, just like I thought my first call was. But you know, that's, and I tell people I don't have a secret. Ask me a question, and you know, if I can help you, point you in the right direction. I I just I don't know. Well, you uh, you posted a video of you doing uh, a feathered band the other day, and I couldn't believe how fast you were going on the individual little uh, flutes and the feathers. And I was like, holy, I mean, it, yeah. it doesn't take you nearly as long as I thought it would take you to do each one because, yeah. you know, the years of doing it. But I was like, holy cow, that just, it looks crazy. It's like watching a tattoo artist shade. Yeah, well, secret side it. I timed myself on a wood band one time. It was like five minutes and 30 seconds, 30-something, 30 like five minutes and 30-something seconds on a wood. Wood or acrylic because, you know, it don't, the bit don't tend to grab. You get on metal, You, I mean, I, I really have to lock my hand out holding it. So, Well, yeah, that's slurring. like stippling, you know, on uh, wood yeah. versus metal. I'll stipple wood bands and stuff like that, and then yep. I'll go to a metal, and all of a sudden it'll want to catch on me. I'm like, well, there goes that one catch and run and and it's the micro movements in your hand and thumb i mean i've had every part of my hand hurt you know go numb all the time mouth but yeah you know it's it's fun and the thing is like i come down here and i turn five calls i'm not done i've got to go up top and carve five bands now i mean that's just what it's turned into yeah that's that's the thing that because when i remember i i got one of your uh the first call i got from you was late 16 it was still a triple digit call and i remember because i sent a message like right afterwards and i was like i want number a thousand you're like yeah that one's already spoken for buddy but uh i was like yeah. i want number two thousand you're like maybe and That's uh a sore subject i got i'm still working on a thousand it's a western house my car and i got a car and we're trying to come up with a design but the call's built it's just not carved oh i was gonna yeah. say you're on like well over 15 16 yeah. aren't you it's, yeah uh, seventeen forty-seven. I think I finished today. So that is insane. So you've well, done nine hundred in three years. Yeah, but it it really don't sound like that much if you look at total number. You say thirteen years. No, but I know the so. amount of carving and work you put into your calls, and that's the the thing that it just makes my hands hurt thinking about it. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, my hands will hurt now. At points, I'm like, I'm done. You know, I, my hands can't take it anymore. You know, my hand hurt for one year flat in the back of my thumb to where, I mean, I just couldn't take the 
painting it, and I would have to carve just a little bit and then stop. I still, I, I take a lot more breaks than I used to. Well, that's how you uh, do some longevity, man. Yeah. So, so I mean, like, go ahead. I used, to, I used to probably carve like five bands back to back, and now it's like, uh, I'll do. I lay out part of it, and I'll let my hands rest a second and do another part. So it's it's slowed me down a lot, but you know, but like on the carving, you know, I was saying, I meant to say, but I tell people, you know, everybody wants to look at that piece of wood and they want to just jump in and dig and have everything just start forming. No, take it in steps. You know, cut, lay it out, cut it back. You know, do certain steps, and it it makes it easier. And that's what I've learned to do. Just steps well yeah because i feel like if you try to press too fast and go too fast you're just gonna get frustrated get sloppy screw stuff up you can and never carve when you don't feel like it that's a tip of the day <laughs> yeah yeah well that's i mean heck that that applies for so much in call making you know just even tuning if you're not into tuning you're gonna yep. not give a crap yeah i tell you know I forgot what I was gonna say there, but uh, don't you know? Pretty much, don't don't go out there if you don't feel like doing it right then. Don't do it. And I I don't know how many car calls I've done, but I to the to date I've only cut off one duck I didn't like, and I let him ride on the call for like two months, and I just kept looking. I was like, he, I knew it didn't look right to me. I said, I'm gonna just work on the rest of the call. I looked back, and I said, he still don't look right to me. I tried to do a three quarter angle, any straight on flight. But or a three quarter angle coming toward you is a tough bird because you can't get the depth or what right on real good. And I let him ride for about two months, and he finally I, I cut him out and put him <laughs> over the under him. And, and it, it turned out good, but it's just I couldn't I couldn't get over to look at that duck. I've only cut one out. So did you draw growing up? I used to be real big in a drawing and art when I was younger, but. Uh, don't do it as much now uh but you had some natural some natural artistic ability you know like you know i've known some people they can't draw to save their life like is that a dog or is that a is that a right. horse what do you got going on here yeah i did i mean i used to love drawing and used to have time for it but now it's just i don't know not the best drawer in the world but you can get it done but you can, I mean, you can, there's a lot of way to get patterns for ducks other than just draw them. I, I, I mean, I've got like three methods I'll draw either. You can take a live, live duck image, you know, like a live picture of one, a picture of a live duck. And, you know, there's ways you can just trace just the major detail. I'll try to go in there, you know, doing eyeballs and all this stuff. And just do the major, the main outline of it. That's yeah. an easy way to do it. I feel like having a artistic eye helps, you know, like from anywhere I did filming for hunting, I've done, you know, call making, um, you know, just photography, having that you there's sometimes you either have that eye for what looks good and you you can just see it in your head. Like, I imagine that's the hardest thing to me to fathom is like imagining that carving of how this is going to turn out in your head, because there's so many steps to removing material and carving that yeah. I think that to most people like 
to me anyway, it's really hard to fathom of what this is going to turn out like. Like drawing, I can draw, you know, the basic outline and start working on some shading and then add in right. different stuff. But that carving, it's that was the hardest thing for me to figure out was what is this going to look like in the end goal? Yeah. Uh, you got to have somewhat of a vision, but me having such a small brain, seriously, <laughs> the, <way I> <laughs> the way I do it, a lot of times, and I've done a few little carving seminars and stuff here at NWTF, real foot, but the way I try to tell people, or the way I do it, is like, either you could just put one duck, just pick a duck you like, but that duck is the main duck, you know, at the forefront. He's going to be your biggest duck. He's going to be the main the, just like if you were hunting, you had 10 mallards come in, and that one bird, it looks like the shooter. This is the same thing you know, I've tried to vision is that, that forefront bird, your main bird, your best looking bird. So he's going to be a bigger bird. As you move back, you, you'll cut the material back behind him. The birds will get smaller as you drop back because you got to create depth where there's really no depth, you know, to a you right, to, without taking too much material type. Right, so you got to create an illusion of depth and create, you know, like a, a 3D look of this with not much material. And how you do that is take, you know, your first duck's going to be whatever size you do it. The next bird behind it needs to be smaller if you keep going back smaller and so on. And any overlap, if you can drop a wing behind a duck, you know, it, it makes... adds that perspective. It, so there's, there's a lot of just trying to create a perspective you know, a depth where there's really not depth, so. Gotcha. Very cool. But that, that, and also, that's one way to do it, and a lot of times I do, I mean, I just start with something and go, but I've learned probably my favorite way to start a call is come up with a theme. Whatever theme, you know, I like theme I want for humor. I mean, something funny, so I like something's going to be catchy, funny, but also something that somebody can relate to you know if there's people out there that's hunted duck hunted they can relate to this situation and you know like one example was you no know, barely legal and uh barely legal's theme was i wanted a guy right on the edge of a say a property line and he's actually leaning up against a no trespassing or keep out sign i can't remember now so he's barely legal because he's he's like leaning on their line and that was, that was the whole theme of that. So come up with a theme, I think, can help kind of drive that. I think uh, that's probably my favorite way, I think. Because I, you're, you're cool creating ideas. a picture, you know, that, that whole, right. I don't know, that feel to the call. Right. You're creating, a, you're creating something, a story, something somebody can relate to, something that somebody can laugh at, smile at, or just, yeah, I understand exactly what, that call means or what that hunting you know situation is on that call and then if you got like two or three panels that's why i was doing three panels i like the a, a sequence so i've got a guy facing one direction and i've got a bird coming in toward him as you rotate the call so you know the guy's pointed away and then rotate the call to the second panel the bird's coming in toward the hunter you rotate it third way i, I People put like two dead ducks hanging, so it's like telling a story. You know, this guy shooting the bird now. You know, he's got you know bird hanging on straps. Yeah, a little comic so, strip. Yeah, the, the thing tells a story, and uh, so I, that's just kind of the way I like to do it now. You know, it, it used to be random, like 
I'm throwing a bird on there. I'm throwing a bunch of dead stuff and a bunch of stuff. That was early days. So <laughs> you you learn as you go. Yeah. What was that? Uh, that um, Callapalooza carve off call making competition. What was that like? That was that was very cool. And a lot of call makers have talked about doing something. You know, we feed the ideas around. You know, like somebody bring a lathe, somebody bring a drill press. It gets kind of you know, a lot of equipment when you really think about it. But John Stevens actually took that and brought it alive. And, you know, I told him we had talked about ideas similar. I said, but you actually put wheels under it and made this thing, you know, go. And uh, it was it was cool because him, you know, him and his level of his call company is huge. You know, asking these, even asking just call makers to come and sell calls, that was just kind of blows your mind how, you know, it just, it was super cool. But, uh it was cool because I was chosen as a captain. I'm like, why me? <laughs> and then, so now, trying to orchestrate how four of us are going to get in here. And, you know, we had kind of beat a little bit of ideas around, but we really didn't have a solid idea until the night before. Me and Waylon and Alan and Brian sat down and started looking at, okay, let's do this. Because it was, the cool thing about it is you've got to, involve four people share time get it done but you gotta have a call that's doable in that time so it, it was a 10 hour scramble which is I think needed just for the challenge so super cool and just and it goes back to working in somebody else's shop you know John's shop is like just a beautiful shop and it's like but it's different you know it's like it's out of your comfort more, zone yeah, I'm way out of my comfort zone because I'm used to this, doing that. You know, some cool things was, you know, was using John's lathe, John's shop. He opened, you know, it was open door. So, I mean, it was pretty humbling experience to do that. And then, same time, we're using some of Butch's tools that he made calls with. Some of the ones John uses to make tools with. So, we're using their tools, you know, tapping, you know, pieces on with Butch's old hammer and uh it, it was a very cool experience you know us four working together just you know trying to figure out how to balance and uh it turned out real good I think but yeah yeah very super humbling cool, super cool experience and uh hopefully hope to see it keep going you know get other guys in there and keep this thing going because I really enjoyed it absolutely but, how important i know you're a big a guy that likes to go to a lot of the events and how important you know it's not just the duck calls but the gatherings of all the call makers and you know just all the like-minded people some of your best friends through these different events like real foot and you know like this call of palooza and stuff like that like what does that mean to you well, the first one I ever went to, well, I'm trying to think the first one I went to. I, went, I think the first one I went to was NWTS in uh, Atlanta. They had it down there one year. And I, it, it was funny because I think that now, you know, I, I seen Jim Chamberlain and I was like, hey, Jim, and tried to introduce myself. He's like, I was nobody, honestly. <laughs> I like Jim, but, you know, at that time I was like, oh, you know, there's some young punk here, whatever. And I went to <laughs> another gym. Dester, and I was just like, and it, I, I'd seen both of them working, it was amazed by it. So it was almost like, I don't say starstruck, but just kind of like, I'm, I'm getting to meet the guys that do what I want to do. And uh, I was kind of blown off again. And uh, man, Herb Oley, 
which uh, was one of the nicest guys you ever meet. So he talked to me, and then Bob Wiseman, at that point right there is the changing of my just doing the standard hunt call to doing decorative when Bob showed me his miniature checker call, and, and it just, I was just fascinated by that. So that's why I bought the checker set. Later on, didn't know how to use it real good because I got in a hurry. So anyway, stuff it up and turn into carbon. But I'd say, though, I think it's pretty – I think you sit back and you don't realize – how fun it can be just to be there and interact with people. I mean, I've met some of my closest friends now just by going to Real Foot, you know, just hanging out, talking, sharing ideas, you know. And it's just, I think it's pretty cool to stay connected. I mean, I've learned a lot just from being in them places and making friends. And it's funny, like, me and Brian Phillips are pretty close now. And him and Ronnie was the first two I met at Real Foot. Turner and uh, <laughs> Brian had this beautiful finish. I was like, man, what, what finish is that? He's like, super figure, can't tell you. I've <laughs> 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 reminded him of that, but it was funny. But at the time, you know, they didn't really know me. But, you know, since then, we've got real close. But <laughs> uh, I don't know, building a friendship, I think that's probably my favorite part is building friendships through the journey of call making instead of just the actual call. Because if if somebody comes in and says, you know, I want you to build me a call, I want something, and I, I always ask for ideas, input, what do you like, copper, brass, aluminum, black, well, you know, just get an idea. So during that time, you're kind of building, you know, a friendship relationship with that person that's ordering the call. And uh, so in the end, that call mean just oh it's just a duck call yeah i mean that call right there is basically built a connection or a relationship to that person so when i go back and see that call i can say oh that's a pete poland that's a thomas wood you know or whoever it is for i better say gordon jones too (laughs) (laughs) yeah good guys but i just i think that means more to me than just saying, yeah, I made a duck call. You know, it's just it's the connection of the friendship with these people. And I think, you know, having – there's so many calls on the second hand and stuff like that that right now it's just crazy. But I always feel like, you know, the calls that I got made for me before I ever even started turning are the ones that, like, matter more. But if I just bought one off second hand or, you know, it, it was a little more disposable, like I'm more willing to trade it. But just having – that one that, like you said, you built through the customer, client, call maker. It just right. means more. Yeah. And I've got, I've probably got 150, 200 calls maybe. And most of them have been through like trades or somebody just gave me like, I, you know, what I with Ronnie Turns, they have a Brian Phillips, Scott Simmons, Alan Whitson, and John Kempney. And it's like, you know, Brian's like, here, I made your call. And that, that call right there, I can go back and say that green hedge call was one Ronnie gave me when I was in Arkansas, you know. Well, and the funny so, thing is, that's like one one hundredth of the calls that Ronnie has ever put out because he right. you can't get him to turn on the lathe. Right. <laughs> so, but, you know, those calls to me represent a relationship, you know, and it was like, oh, man, you know, get Ronnie to make me a call. I'm like, good luck. And anyway, it's, but, you know... <laughs> 
at the same time, it's like, you know, these calls are priceless. I'm not giving you one of my Turner calls. I'm not giving you one of my Phillips calls, Whitson calls. I'm not, you know, it's not going to happen. So, but I think, I think the relationship, my favorite part of the whole thing, just, you know, people that know me know I love a joke kid, hang out. So, and, but at the same time, I love, because people's like, oh, you did so good on that call. I'm like, uh, I wish it was my idea. <laughs> right. Well, that's half the fun is what the customer gives you to build. Yep. And, uh, you know, some ideas come across and you, you sit here and you, uh, oh, man, I don't, I, you just can't vision it looking good. And uh, Pete Poland's call was one of them. I don't know if you remember the Poland deal that had the wide loading. Yeah. He was, he was telling me, he's like, okay, I want wide loading here and here. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, how am I going to get out of building this thing? <laughs> and I, honestly, I just could not vision the wide loading looking right and uh, I finally started thinking I said well, I'm going to throw inlays in here transition it and this and when it come to life it was like one of my favorite calls I'm like how did he know <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's the ideas, that artistic you know? eye man yeah so it, it's not it's not always my idea every once in a while I come up with something but a lot of times it's, the blame's on the people wanting it because they they've got the cool ideas and that Somebody first insanely carved brass call that you had, was that your idea or somebody else that made you do it? Which one was just the feathers on it? Yeah, it was like 2017, 18, something like that. Uh, I've done one or two or three of those. I can't remember on the brass. One aluminum. Oh, uh, aluminum sucks. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember because I've done some full feathered, you know, just asking Blackwood stuff. Yeah, I've I, seen those. If I if I could, was guessing and wanted to try to be right, I'd probably say that somebody said, "Hey, try a brass one." You're like you're a psychopath. <laughs> I get I get suckered into some stuff. <laughs> well, that's yeah. what happens when you're the master, man. Yeah, I'm not a master. Uh, don't be modest. So speaking speaking of the modesty, what for the longest time, you know, on the second hand market, I've talked to a lot of different call makers. We're talking about you know over the through the last few years through this BTBN and just different stuff like that, and they were talking about I can't even remember who was flavor of the day back a couple of years ago, but we were talking about calls going for five six hundred bucks, and I was like, you know, if brad ever had a longer turnaround time than he did his calls would sell for insane insane amounts and the desire and it seems like in the last two years and like i said you're going to do your best to be modest because i know that's who you are but what has that been like this year i don't know i feel like from the outside perspective this year has been the year that samples blindsided michael orr calls that's uh you know the blind side uh, yeah i, got you. I, I feel like <laughs> that's when they've uh man it's you have all the accolades in the world you have all the awards in the world but i feel like this year in the last 12 months you're i don't know like you're finally getting what i always thought that you would because like i said you're my favorite call like i love looking at what you do but not only the carving the designs that you put together like just personally as a fan you're one of my favorite call makers and um i just feel like man you know there's always that flavor of the year type thing and this year you've taken way off it seems like yeah i, I don't know i mean 
uh, if you ever look at my my prices, <laughs> I don't I don't think as much of myself as other people have, and I, I don't I don't know I don't know what drives the market. I don't get into my famous number one rule in call making is I will not fuss over a call. So I try I, I try to stay neutral on all of it. I look at sometimes what people pay. I'm like whoa. Well, yeah, and the secondhand market, it's all supply and demand, and that's what I, I right. said, because I had ordered one from you, and it was extremely reasonable priced, and I think you had it on my doorstep in like two weeks, yes. <laughs> which is insanity to somebody now, because if I know that your your list is a lot longer than what it was, and, uh, you know, you see, I've had different call makers quote me on, uh, you know, calls that I've wanted to add to it, and they're like, hey, it's going to be this number. And uh, I was like, that's that's crazy, man. Like, you know, you got to value your work. And uh, but I don't know. It's just really cool. Yeah. One stroke later. (laughs) Yeah, right. uh, I don't know. I mean, I enjoy the bill. I enjoy the relationship. I've got a full time job, too. So I'd never do this full time. Your hands couldn't take it. No, absolutely not. I never (laughs) I've never tried to. Push the price. I mean, some things, some bills. If my price goes up a little bit, it's because I've got a lot involved, and in it. it ain't just going to be a plain Jane, you know, with a crazy price. I mean, try to be reasonable. I hear more times than not. That's all. Yeah, you don't charge enough. That's my yeah. main point. Is you don't. I hear that. A, I hear that a lot. For and, as um, much as you have in it. So I, I don't know. So I, I'm, you know, if it was like, oh, you know, and I get DMs, you see what so and so did, you know, they flipped your car. I'm like, you know what? If you went and bought a Ford car tomorrow, that's your Ford car. If they sell, I mean, I just, I just stay out of it. I, I don't know. Well, my question isn't so much is, um, like, you know, the whole call flipping thing. People are gonna do whatever they do. It just creates. Right. It's more entertainment yeah. than anything. Mine is, you, like I said, mine was nine hundred. 47 something like that and now you said you're up to 1800 and that's three and a half years later like that's a big jump so you said you've been doing it for 13 years so the first 10 years it was about a thousand in the last three years you're almost gonna double that so that's that's like what's that feel like going from you know arthritis yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what it feels like i don't i don't know i mean just yeah, it's uh, it's been crazy because I looked at the books last year to see how many I made, and it's like three hundred thirty-four. I'm like, what? God bless, dude. That if, is if you that hurts my head. Guess, I would have never guessed that number, and I'm like, I, I don't know. Has it affected your passion for? Do you do you ever just get in there and you're like, man, I just don't feel like messing with calls today. The toughest part of call making, I think, is. Wanting to get everybody's call as soon as you can, but you know, I don't. I've never seen seeds, so I'm one man with two hands. And you, you can only do so much. So when you got keeping it full fun. Time. Yeah, yeah. That's... I love actual. I love actual bill, but it's walking into this shop and saying, "Man, I need to be doing this. I need to be doing that." You, you feel like you want to do every, so many calls at one time, but you can't. So that's the toughest part to me. And that's the most stressful part, you know, knowing somebody's waiting. But 
Yeah. That's the thing. It's not one to burn yourself out. Like you want to be, that's what I've talked to other different call makers about. And uh, for me personally, that's the, why I took a year off. I sold everything and uh, ended up rebuying everything like a year and a half later because it wasn't fun anymore. I was doing too much and I was putting too much stress on it. And it, uh, like I just lost the passion like I still love the idea of making a call. Me and Meredith went back and forth for the year that I was out of it, and he was always like, "Dude, just come down, just come down and make a call." And you know, yeah. just being busy, it was like I could never pull myself to find the time. But uh, now, you know, it's like the excitement's there. If when, yeah. you know you get blanks, you get new stuff in. It's like cool. I I can't wait, and uh, I keep myself. Uh, more restricted now like if the kids yeah. come outside they're like hey dad what are you doing i'm like oh i don't know turn off the lathe what do you want to do for the rest of the day right so i just that, walk that, away that's the tough part yeah yeah I'm trying to balance you know your kids and all this so and that's, i do the same thing like you know my son wanted to make some of wanted to make some of the jack back off daniel stools so what i do i i pretty much didn't hit the shop for about two days just helping him so i mean you got to find that family balance too but actually, I love the actual build. It's just when you get so many of them, you, you, you feel the pressure like, oh, I need to really be getting these out. And I don't know. And to this point, I, like I said, I've still avoided CNC because I like I like the fact that I can. Somebody shows a picture of a call, I know that was not a CNC call, not made. But you know, it CNC has its place, though. You know, oh yeah, absolutely. And I thought about it, you know, because you could have some on hand just for, you know, somebody wants to hunt and call and you just, you know, have something ready. So it, it's good for that point, but I still like to feel like it's a hobby, honestly, but some days, <laughs> some days it's a jobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it helps right now with all this crazy corona, I'm sure. Yeah, it does. I, I should have been in here a lot more, but... Nah, you were spending time with the family, man. I saw your son turn out some... What, he got ended up getting four or five done? Yeah. That's super cool. What was that like? Well, he uh he, he likes it somewhat, but he, he get he stresses him out pretty good because you know, and even me, I I'm trying to drop back down and remember what it was like to start and if anybody knows that five eight ten is where it's <laughs> most stressful at. Trying to get that <laughs> so uh I I think he had a good time but he it's I don't know. He's got a girlfriend. He's uh, engaged right now, so doing important stuff. He's in a different gear right now. <laughs> but it, it was fun having him in here. Anytime you, your kids getting shot with you, it's you know fun. So right, enjoy that. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So he he liked doing it. Did he flat jig it, or did he go off of one of your jigs? He did one of mine because he actually gave the first call to me, and uh, I don't. You know, it goes back to, you know, he's he's not in it enough that he has the desire to go out, you know, try to make his own tone board and all this stuff. I'm like, you know what, if you want to make a call, just come down here and cut it on mine, do this, that. Well, yeah, just tuning on one off your jig is enough learning experience. Yeah, it is. And, you know, as long as he's not entering in a contest or anything, I'm okay with it. But (laughs) if he did that, he's going, he's going, you know, he's figuring out his own. board but yeah just making one here and there i don't mind it but as long as it ain't going to a contest i don't care 
Well, you said contest three times, so tell me about NWTF. You're one of the legends. Like I said, don't be modest, because we all know everybody that follows your calls already knows. Tell us about some of your NWTF experiences and, you know, what it was like the first time you, you cracked, and I don't know how many times you entered it before you won, but... Well, I'm hoping to win it one day. So, <laughs> now, uh, I don't know. You know, I was I was doing those started carving, and I was like, you know, these things are awesome. I didn't enter them. They don't do no good. I did that for a little bit. You know, like St. Charles, I think it was. And looking back, I mean, they were just not not at the level that Jim Bester and Mike Houlihan and uh, Bob Wiseman and a bunch of guys were doing. And so and that's why i stumbled into the atlanta one and we somehow me and my oldest boy was there he was seeing we stumbled into the grand auction and i was absolutely blown away at the work the carving on it by i think it was probably jim dester's time around then maybe mike Ulan, i don't remember but just blown away never even considered it till i met bob wise i started the carving and then i started entering i was like trying to improve and finally i entered and i entered a uh uh, English walnut had ivory on the outside, and the ducks were cut all the way through the ivory to see the walnut. Well, I entered it, and uh, lo and behold, they cut back, and I heard I'd, me and Mike Houlihan, which had been like flooring everybody, had tied for first place for best of show in it. Or I think we, well, I won my division. I think he won his, but we tied for best of show and uh, come back later, and they gave him a point over me, which is cool. I mean, you couldn't have told me I didn't win that day because I'd done so good. I mean, it, to me, it was a win. It wasn't the first-place trophy, but it, to me it was a win just to the success I'd had, you know, just... Just to be there, um, at the t- you know, right with the, the people you'd been looking up to. Right, the guy that's been, like, just winning and doing good, I tied him. So that was, that was a big thrill for me, although I didn't come home in first place. That, that was still a win in my book, just... And you said that was the first year you entered? Yeah, it was the first year. I, yeah. I think it was the first year I entered there. So you, you pulled a, a Channing Korea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Channing, me and Channing do this thing all the time, so he knows I bust his balls. But, yeah, that's to be there in your first year, it, like I can imagine it being – it's a win. Yeah. To say, hey, I, just, I'm doing it. It's just like that goose call he just come out with, the lucky goose. I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's all right. Channing knows we both cool, well, you know. Uh, but I put a lot of work into it, all that tied, so I felt like I'd won. Although I didn't come home with the first place trophy, I felt like that. So, following year, what I'm doing. And Mike, Mike's like a great scrimshaw. Or whatever you call him, scrimshaw, I don't even know what you call him. But anyway, just <laughs> great work. And, uh, but and usually when somebody does something, you see people start going in that pattern trying to do what they do well I've always been like 180 or I, I, I refuse to fall into that rut a lot of times because I wanted to I wanted to if I was going to win it I wanted to win with my work my technique I didn't want to go you know like Mike had super cool like ivory caps on with ducks I, I said I'm not scrimshawing nothing because I want to win with what I'm doing if I win or if I don't 
I didn't want to feel like I was using his techniques to try to, you know, inch it up. So you didn't want to, you didn't want to beat him at his own game. You wanted to with, with his own technique. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I entered next year, and I ended up winning next year. And uh, uh, shoot, I don't even remember what year that was. Thirteen. So I think I won thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. Now it was weird because you went a ring. And I want a ring, you know, what I want. And then the next year I want a ring. So I've got three kids. I'm like, I've got three kids and two rings. i got a problem. i got to enter again. <laughs> so uh, I entered again and kind of went over the top. And uh, to just I wanted to win three just for each kid would have a ring was my whole goal. So, and I did. I finally got a third ring on that year. And then I was like, I'm just, I'm going to relax this next year. I'm not going all out. Well, and Mike Stelzer took me out that year. <laughs> so, so then I had to get back in the game, and then I won. That was I think he won 16, I believe. So then I won 17, 18, 19. Yeah, and I didn't enter. I didn't enter the main thing this year, and I just, I don't know. It's been fun, but it's like need a little bit of break. And I was like, you know, it's just – to me, it sounds good just to sit ringside and watch these guys fight it out. You know, Jeremiah Klusman, Kevin DePeele. The state of Brian Byers had one, but I think he, he said his whatever he was working on didn't turn out good. But, you know, I was wanted to watch those, those guys fight it out and me take a break. Right. Yeah, just, you know, I Mike did, you know, the same thing. And just uh, – I know a lot of different guys had talked to him about entering, not entering, stuff like that, and right. uh, how he had mentioned he didn't want to do it anymore, or it, you know, taking a, a temporary break. And so many guys were like, "No, yeah. <laughs> you sucker, you've been beating us for so long." Yeah, that, uh, Mike's just had a lot on him, you know. Oh yeah. yeah. So I mean, he needed probably a mental break too because he just had enough, you know, a lot of weight on his shoulders. You know, oh yeah. Points. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing on him, but I, I don't know. And that brings up another point because Mike used to do decoratives. And uh, you get into a thing where I was, I probably got more known by when I started the decorative, I guess. And it's just like, I'm still doing hunt calls, I'm doing decorative. Now I've got these two things that people want, and that's like, I don't know, you know, decorators take so long and you get so much demand for a hunt call. It's just like, oh, man, how do you... So it's, it's tough being, trying to, you know, be in both of those. Well, yeah, you're you're walking, trying to be... You're competing to be the best in both arenas. You know, a carver, a, a, a maker... Because it's not just the carving, it's the whole concept. I mean, you're, you're being trying to be the best artist on one side and then trying to be the best call maker... Uh, you know, hunt call because you had the one at um, Easton that did really well, and was that yeah. acrylics? I was actually uh, Ashton Blackwood, and see, that's what I, I thought. That. And Meredith was, yeah. it was a long time ago we were talking about this, but I think Meredith told me it was acrylic. And I was like, that's weird. I thought it was wood, but yeah, it was wood. If it was acrylic, it probably was better because what happened was the ever I've got I got some PMs from several judges. And it's like, man, that call was just like top to bottom you know just super good call they said but when it went into the the best show judge you know you got three in the best show so when it went to best of show i guess the moisture built up and the tall board swollen it just went flat and uh, i just went back i went down the third but yeah it happens oh yeah they had 50 different guys blowing them 
you know, any more. I mean, it's fun to win, but win ain't everything because what happens usually in my, it, I've, I've come to the level of thinking that when I don't win, I can almost guarantee one of my good friends did win. So it's, uh, you know, you love seeing other people win too. I, I, you know, it's fun to win, but it's fun seeing your friends win too. So, yeah. Do you feel like, um, I don't know, like to me, when I started, everybody was super helpful, super nice. Guys are so, I don't know, that's always been one of my biggest things is I haven't been doing it that long. I've only been doing it five and a half, six, something like that. But if a new guy comes and asks me a question, I'm always, I give him as much advice as I possibly can. Because that was, the way that you reached out to me, it was one of the biggest times you and then Mike reached out to me um, very early and uh, gave me advice. So it was very important to me to keep passing on and be somebody who's not like, who doesn't keep information secret. Because yeah. like when you were saying you first tried to go up and talk to, um, I don't remember who you said. Jim. Yeah, the gyms. And they kind of weren't giving you the time of day. Is that one of the reasons that you're so... Because I see you always helping guys and making videos. Is that like one of the reasons that you think that uh, you do that? I, I don't think so. I mean, because I'm always... And I tell people, you know, I say, oh, you can make a call. I'm like, my biggest talent is not call making. My biggest talent is helping people. And that's that's the way I look at it. And I just, I don't know. I'm more of a giving person in general. And... If I can help somebody make their life easier or something, you know, that's, that's what I do. And that ain't just call me, it's whatever, you know. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think it got me like that. I just think I'm, that's just why I'm, my character, I think. Well, whatever reason it is, man, it's, uh, like I said, it meant a lot to me at the time. And I know I've seen you do it for a lot of other call makers. Yeah. I don't know if... You know, I'm the same way. I just would have done it anyway. But it always is that constant reminder to share what I've learned as well. Yeah, it comes back full circle. I mean, usually, you know, you reap what you sow, and you, you're so good. You know, you give people usually in some form. You don't get that back. And I have. I mean, you know, a bunch. So, you know, even like Bob Wiseman, he just like has been a big help to me in the early days. Just getting my thoughts and motivation and just I mean just one of my biggest influence I've had you know when starting so I, I, I just I don't know I just like helping people and just it's fun you know cause to see the progression of somebody starting carving and you know say you know okay you know and when they do their first carving I just don't go out there and say well you need to fix this oh you know this looks like crap I go out there and say look you know look at this, try this, on the next call I'll point out something else. I just don't just hammer their call because I know what it's like to carve that first call and be proud of it. And you've got, like I said, you got to learn with each call. So, Well, and the, uh, the amount of guts it takes to post a picture of that first call. Yeah. <laughs> if, some, if you came through and were like, yeah, no, that stinks. <laughs> They're like, okay, yeah. well, I'm never going to do that again. Right, that's what I'm saying. You know, you don't you don't take the wind out from under sail. You know, give them some pointers, but just don't just don't you know knock them over. Absolutely, so, man. Absolutely. That's why I've always looked at it. You know, just because they're they're in a growing stage if they're starting. 
and and if you ever need something, usually that person's gonna be there for you anyway. If you help them, so I mean, I, I don't have anything to hide. I tell people I don't have secrets, you know. Well, and it's a uh, it's a brotherhood, man. It's passing along it information. <laughs> yeah, it Teaching is. And, uh, guy. Like I said, you know, some of my best friends have come through call making. You know, just sharing call making experience, call making ideas, thoughts. Or a hunt, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's been a fun ride. Absolutely, brother. And it never planned on it, but yeah, that's what it's turned into. You know, <laughs> I, I expected to make one or two calls and be done. <laughs> I should have retired 13 years ago. <laughs> you would have saved yourself a lot of money and a lot of hassle. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, sure would. what is, um, I tried to get Alan to do it, but he wouldn't do it. What is your favorite? I didn't ask him any specific call maker's name, but you know, I call him Ronald and he likes to get irritated about it. So what is your favorite Ronnie Turner story? Because he is an enigma in the call making community. Oh god. <laughs> Try Oh, let me think. <laughs> I, I don't know, there's several, but probably one of them is <laughs> We were at uh, Piney over there in Arkansas hunting, and uh, I had a cripple back in the woods. I was chasing this old blowdown tree. Had it like the whole root balls up in the ground, and the, the Drake had went way up there. I could see his tail. I was gonna have to like crawl through water to get this bird out. So I'm like trying to figure out how I can get this bird out. This bird out, and then I, I told him, if "Birds come, you know. I'll just hide behind a tree, whatever. I'll just, you know, I was, I was here pretty cool with this group of birds come." <laughs> And I don't, I, all I all I know is Ronnie was cussing up and down. <laughs> Jamie White, they, somebody told Jamie White to shoot a bird, shoot that bird or something. Well, he ended up shooting Ronnie's decoys. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the first time Ronnie's decoys had been in the water. <laughs> oh, God. That was funny, but I, I man, I don't know. There's so many. <laughs> right? Well, well it's, you have to, you know, know, the statute of limitations, you know, on some of them. Yeah. Or maybe the first time I hunted, you know, when I, you know, man Brian Phillips rode out and I was hunting with Ronnie and Brian and Scott Simmons come out later uh, with us. But it's me and Brian that evening, you know, we went out trying to shoot a bird. And I actually shot my first Mallard, Arkansas Mallard that day and uh, like the last three minutes of legal shooting time. So we come back and Ronnie's already in the club and man, we're sitting there taking our waders off. Next thing you know, we got these bottle rockers, pew, pew, just shooting in the garage and we're dancing and that whole weekend it was bottle rocket war <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and he was the one yeah. that initiated it yeah Tip, yeah he usually is so <laughs> right so i try to get him up a couple of days later you know i like, oh, get up so i shot a bottle rocket under the bedroom door and it caught the cover on fire and this <laughs> <It's just, laughs> yeah that's too funny he, he is a hoot huh? a lot of fun guys in this industry absolutely my man well, I've taken up an hour of your evening, so uh figured I'd let you get about the rest of the night and spend some time with the family. But I, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on, man. I know it's uh, it's uh, tough to do at the end of the night sometimes. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, my whole career, I didn't, I didn't really realize how far I had come in life until I met Alan Whitson. <laughs> and I, I knew I had made it at that point. <laughs> <laughs> That guy's just as goofy, man. Hey, don't get him to lie. 
yeah. 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 That's what he always says. He said, I know I've made it in life, you know, when we were like carving a real foot or something. I do. I'm nobody. So, I mean, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's a good point. We always got to realize that we're, nobody's like rock star level. I mean, we're all just a bunch of guys, and I've had guys come up, oh, man, you know, so good to meet you. I'm like, dude, I'm just a normal person doing the same thing you like. You know, we're all normal, so. Yeah, you guys are all normal and approachable guys, but uh, yeah. having that inspiration and something to look up to is always good for a younger call maker. I mean, it, it means a lot that I can be at that point sometimes to people, but I'm still, you know, just that normal person. That you, you, and uh, that's probably, probably my biggest compliment I've ever heard given to me was I'm approachable, and I am, you know, just ask me. I'm not, I'm not above nobody. Absolutely, so, man. Well, if people want to grab a call for you from your brother, where uh, on that waiting list, what can they uh, reach out to get you? When or where? Yeah, I guess if that sentence even made sense. Um, if people want to grab a call from you, where can they get a hold of you at? Oh, Ronnie Turner's house. There you go. <laughs> hey, Jason Hatchell, I think, has got two of my calls. Dude, jeez, that dude. <laughs> how... Hey. How many of well, them in a row did he put on order? Because I put well, me on the books. Not, put me it's on not the, that. It's, the thing is, it's like he he has a, a talent for finding calls. I'm like, well, he posted a bunch of calls one time, and people were getting mad at me. I'm like, look, he's finding these calls. <laughs> Man. So, like, I got the one that I had you make me a couple years ago. I had gotten in a bind, and I had to sell it. And I didn't yeah. sell it for much more than you, you know, you sold it to me for because that was what was fair i found it i tracked it down last year and the guy wanted like 600 bucks for it i was like you realize i got that for significantly less and uh in two weeks so put me back on your books whenever you will open them up and whatever you want to charge me to make a buckeye with black wood that's the combination i still love that's my whole collection put me on the books i can't is that what you had before yeah yeah okay yeah, Jason, he he is he's dug out some calls. I'm like, I don't some stuff I don't even remember making. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, hanging out with Alan Whitson and Ronnie Turner, I can imagine. I guess I think he's robbing their house, but <laughs> uh, yeah, he 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 has dug up some old calls, and even John Willer had found some. I think he had looked because I sent him a picture of showing a call number, and he had looked on that page and found my brother's ex-father-in-law and contacted him. He's like, hey, do you know so-and-so? And he ended up with a bunch of, like, 40s, number 40s and 50s. That is insane, man. Because I'd made that. I'd made, you know, my brother's ex-father-in-law, like, 10 calls, you know, in a row one time. He had some real early ones. But I think Ronnie Turner probably has my number one call that was turned on the lathe. He posted, yeah. He, I can't remember yeah. if it was number one that he posted recently on your uh, clothes group. One. Yeah, that was so cool. <laughs> I think Mike Hafer has number two, and I don't know where it goes from there. But I didn't. I, I've kept. I don't know why, but I've kept up with all the calls I made somewhat. But it's weird because early days, some of the calls had numbers on the tone board, and some of them didn't. Yeah, but that was one on of my, my problems. Books, I, Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, man. I was gonna say if you look on the books, I'll say like Coca Cola call number so and so, but I didn't say who it went to, so. I, you can tell back, I don't even know why I kept number, but you can tell back then, I didn't really expect them, 
they kept me out, I guess. But, <laughs> but I, don't, I, I don't know why I haven't kept up with it. But, yeah, Ronnie, I've got number one on the drill press still here. And uh, Ronnie's got number one on lay. Mike Hafer's got number two, and I don't know from there. But Pieces of history, man. Pieces of history. Yeah. Jason Hatchell is going to sell his, his firstborn, secondborn for that <laughs> one of them. Well, I'm going to probably send his firstborn back because that child eats too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's been cool just meeting, meeting people from everywhere, you know, different countries and, you know, different states and all. It's just it's been a super cool journey. Yeah. You know, and it's all because of a duck call, believe it or not. It just kind of blows your mind if you think about it. Uh, it's a duck call, but it's it's you as a a person and a call maker and the way that you interact and you uh you treat other call makers and customers that makes a huge difference, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you gotta have, you know, like it goes back that we're not above one another. You know, just I'm just a person that you order a call from and I made it. So I probably think less of myself than they do. <laughs> I think that's the way we all are. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, brother. And uh, like I said, I'll let you you get off here, and we'll throw this sucker up here tonight. Sounds good. Take care, Chris. Hey, man, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. That was Brad Samples of Blindsided Calls, one of my favorite call makers. He's just such a nice dude. He made a uh, a huge difference in me making calls and. A lot of the stylistic choices that I like to do in mine are definitely inspired by Brad. So, big thank you to him for coming out. And uh, thank you guys for you guys tuning in. So, get out there, subscribe, share, like, do all that social media nonsense. Thanks. <laughs>